HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you in partner with 2% for Conservation. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you are into hunting, fishing, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for Conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. Ladies and gentlemen, good day to you. Welcome back to the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I am your host, Marcus Ewing. All right, today with me, I have two gentlemen from the great state of Michigan, um, Dan Nelson, Sebastian Alvarado, and they are with 2% Certified Local Outdoors Brand. Local Outdoors Brand uh, is a much like the average conservationist is a, it's a lifestyle apparel brand and the the story uh, behind local outdoors and, and kind of the the evolution of where things started with the brand to where they are now some changes that have been made um, kind of from a branding perspective and just to um, and, and Dan and Sebastian do a much better job um, going into this but to something uh, a bit more all-encompassing in terms of the outdoors. Uh, Dan and Sebastian, uh, as I mentioned, Michigan guys here, uh, grew up over on the west side of the state, and the two of them, uh, you know, have been or were, um, you know, grew up together for the most part. Um, I would say, (coughs) apologies here, I'm, uh, I'm fighting this terrible cough and... It really kicks in after about a minute and a half of talking. So I'm going to try and keep the intro relatively short here. Um, but yeah, Dan and Sebastian uh, grew up and were were friendly with each other. Uh, they I wouldn't call them like super tight, uh, but they certainly knew each other. And then I think it was probably five years ago or so, um, a random uh, exchange between the two of them on social media uh, has turned into um, just this 
crazy tight brotherhood bond uh, that, that all kind of formed through the outdoors. And I'm sure uh, many of us listening or many of you listening um, have probably have some type of experience uh, along those lines where uh, a bond has, has really been formed, a friendship, uh, what have you, uh, through the outdoors in, in some capacity. So uh, with that, uh, again, with the two of them growing up uh, as kind of lifelong uh, hunters and anglers and whatnot, uh, the outdoors and you know, spending that time with family is, is certainly something that's near and dear to them, uh, which is, is kind of where the, the part of the idea behind uh, local outdoors comes from. And, and not only that, the, the conservation piece uh, is certainly a, a big one for the guys. And it's, I don't even want to, to try to go into it too much because uh, we, we take a pretty deep dive in, and we spend quite a bit of time on it, which is, uh, which was really nice. And it was, um, it was good to, to just talk about, you know, all the different reasons why, um, you know, conservation is so important to their brand. I mean, we've, we've certainly <clears throat> had those conversations with a lot of folks in the past. Um, but a lot of times I feel like maybe we don't, I don't get the opportunity to, to spend enough time. And a lot of that is likely my own, um, doing, but, we really wanted to uh, to put an emphasis and, and put a focus on that um, during our chat. Uh, so it, it's just um, you can tell that uh, these guys have, have been friends. Um, there was kind of a, an instant camaraderie uh, between the three of us. And and you can kind of tell, like, as the as the conversation goes on uh, things, we certainly loosened up a bit. Um, not that it was, you know, stuffy or anything to begin with, but you just we kind of find a groove here. Um, as, as the podcast goes on. So great conversation. Um, you know, one that uh, I would certainly like to, um, to do again in the future, uh, when we get a chance to, so enough rambling. I said, I wasn't going to make this long and here I am, uh, episode 154 with Dan Nelson and Sebastian Alvarado. Enjoy. Uh, before that, <clears throat> before the conversation with the guys, I want to take a minute to tell you about my friends over at go hunt. Now is the perfect opportunity to be scheduling, planning, getting ready for that, uh, that big, perhaps fall, uh, out of state hunt, uh, whatever, maybe it's a hunt of a lifetime, whatever it is, uh, make sure you are going over to gohunt.com, checking out the gear shop, picking up anything that you may need, boots, packs, uh, outerwear, base layers, whatever the case is. Also sign up to be a go hunt insider, sign up and, and, and get the go hunt the go hunt maps, um, as far as a mapping system goes, um, I'm hard pressed to find a better one out there. So head over to gohunt.com and help support conservation in the process. All right. From local outdoors, I have Dan Nelson and Sebastian Alvarado. Guys, how are you tonight? Great. How are you? I'm doing all right. I, uh, I appreciate you guys making some time sticking with me through the rescheduling process and everything. But uh, another, I, I kind of alluded to it before we started recording here, but another 2% certified Michigan brand. Um, I'm super pumped to, to talk to you guys and, and learn more about your story and about your, your backgrounds, you know, why conservation obviously is kind of at the center point of, of everything that you guys are trying to do, excuse me, with local outdoors. So before we kind of get into the brand and kind of talk about the origin story there, why don't you guys tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your backgrounds? Sure. Sebastian? 
All right. So uh, my family's originally from Chile. My dad's family is. My mom grew up on a dairy farm in north central Michigan. And when I was about two years old, my family moved from Chile back to Michigan. And since I come from half dairy farmers, I <laughs> learned how to hunt and fish from them and fell in love with it and being outside living in the outdoors and uh <clears throat> my family moved to Ludington in the early 90s went to school here grew up like anyone in west michigan does on the beach all summer and in a tree stand all fall and then i'm back on the steelhead waters all winter and uh left for college and did that and uh started working and that's, you know, once you get through the craziness of the post high school college days, kind of reinvent yourself and yeah. figure out what it is that you actually like to do with your time. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, well, absolutely. So after grad school, well, actually it was during grad school to keep my sanity, I, I fell head over heels for bow hunting and that became my main passion. And then when I finished grad school, I got a chocolate lab and I was going to be the world's best upland hunter. And she was about it. <laughs> about 14 months old and blew her ACL out. So I went and oh. bought a new bow after I paid for her surgery and fell hard back into bow hunting. And Dan and I actually grew up together, went to high school together. We yeah. played high school tennis together and we were always friendly. You know, we skied together on the weekends, but we didn't really hang out with one another. And I was actually living in Pittsburgh, working in the oil and gas industry. And he, uh, started following me on Instagram and sent me a message about how great it was to see me getting into the outdoors. Yeah, and yeah. I sent him a pretty terse message back, like, man, I don't know where you've been, but I've been doing this my whole life. Yeah. And uh, so that's how we ended up reconnecting. And he came out to Pennsylvania and I showed him how to weather the storm on the Pennsylvania public ground, chasing big public ground Pennsylvania deer. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, he hasn't been able to get rid of me since. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I moved back to left Pittsburgh, moved to Oklahoma, moved back up here in 2019. And uh, about the time I put the last box on the truck, Dan called me and he told me he was also moving back to Ludington. So yeah. it worked out perfectly. And so we've been hanging out constantly ever since. And that's, this is all part of the origin story, too. So yeah, no, to, it's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Trying to not give too much yeah. away. But I'll let, I'll let Dan tell the rest of it. But uh, since we both moved back here to Ludington, it's been just, you know, shooting bows in the side yard. He's his Him and his wife got a new farm a year-ish ago. Two, two years ago. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been two. Oh, yeah. Oh, but either way. Um <laughs> And helping him get that set up to hunt on. He's helped me on the property I hunt. Just any excuse for us to be outside yeah. working on working on habitat and chasing 107 inch Michigan yeah. whitetail. There it is. <laughs> yeah. That's what we that's all chase. Monster for you. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Sebastian's background. So, you know, I too grew up in Ludington and Sebastian gave a lot of uh, a lot of our background through high school and how we, you know, knew each other and and you know didn't necessarily hang out, but we were always kind of in the same place. Um, my story goes with myself going to five different colleges, failing out of a couple of them, finally getting a degree and then joining the uh, army. So I did uh, four years of active duty in the uh, United States Army and 
after I left the military, uh, I came back to Michigan and I was working for a, a medical device company. And that's actually when Sebastian and I started talking again was while I was working there. Uh, I was living in Kalamazoo and uh, driving back up here to be able to hunt. You know, I, my, I grew up, you know, we have a family farm. So we got 50 acres that I grew up hunting. And it's been, you know, my that's been my place ever since I was a little kid. My dad used to take me out and, you know, it, he he kind of kept with it after my brother had expressed some interest and then he had decided he didn't really like it that much and my dad took me out you know when i was eh, probably nine years old and you know one of his favorite stories is being able to take me out at nine years old and i just loved it so much i'd sit there and you know i'd be the one elbowing him to shut up when he was started snoring because <laughs> i didn't want the deer to get scared of it, you know um at any rate, so moved back to Michigan. I was in the National Guard for another three years while I was working down in Kalamazoo and kind of moved around a little bit here and there and then decided to move back up to uh, Ludington. And, and again, you know, like Sebastian said, it was, uh, you know, we, we started hanging out again right after that. And it was really, uh, I think it was actually during or actually would have been just after our Pennsylvania trip while I was still in Kalamazoo that I started Shot Local. And shot local is kind of the, the origin story of local outdoors, you know, shot local meaning, you know, I, I harvested this animal somewhere that is local to me, you know, not necessarily, you know, everybody always says, what, what's local outdoors? You know, what's local? Well, local is wherever you are. Local yeah. is whatever you care about, wherever you grew up. It could be the trout stream that you grew up fishing with your dad in the UP. It can be somewhere out West. It can be wherever you care about that you've been going your lifetime and that you enjoy. And that's one of the reasons why we, you know, stuck with this whole local theme is we want our, our, you know, uh, customers to actually make recommendations on where our donations go. So it goes to somewhere that they give a hoot about, you know, it, it goes somewhere that they actually care about and are passionate about at any rate, that's getting down the wrong line. Um, so move back to Ludington and like like Sebastian said, we've been hanging out ever since, and it was probably a year after we moved back. You know, shot local had never really gotten legs, never really took off, and and we kind of started talking about it. We both said, you know, this is a really good idea. It just needs a better execution, and uh, so we started started with a new execution and, and started with the whole local outdoors theme. So you know, we have caught local, shot local, camp local, hike local, drink local, boat local all these different, you know, kind of sub brands underneath the local outdoors and all of these different brands are what we're using to give back to different things that we care about, you know, whether it's, you know, we also have golf local, you know, we give back to, to high school golf teams we give back to conservation. We give back to all kinds of different things that we all care about. So anyway, that's kind of how we got to where we're at and now we're chugging along. I love the, the reasoning behind it because I mean, I grew up in Michigan, very similar upbringing to you guys, where started at a young age, you know, with my dad, with mm-hmm. my grandpa, with my uncle, like all these things, deer hunting, upland bird hunting, duck hunting, all these different types of things. And as I'm much older now and have a family and a wife and kids, yeah. like that, like the whole idea behind like local and, you know, like I don't live necessarily where I grew up now. I'm, a, I'm, I'm much further south. but there's this nostalgia that comes mm-hmm. with like going back home. Like even if I'm not going to, to hunt or to fish or, or anything like that, like just being in that area, right. Yeah. There's just something about it that just it, all of a sudden, like you're transported back, like, you know, 25 years and you're like, 
holy shit, like, yeah, man, the times that I had here and like, and at the time, like, I didn't realize it, right? And right. I don't know if you guys were the same way where, like, you enjoyed what you were doing. And it, yeah, like, it was cool, especially to spend time with dad and stuff. And maybe sometimes we did it begrudgingly because we wanted mm-hmm. to do other things, like hang with our friends or just be a high schooler or whatever. But you get older and, yeah, that's when you start to realize, like, man, that was that was it. Like, those, yeah. those were the good old days, so to speak, oh, right? Were. Yeah. It, it's funny, you know, you touch on that, you know, going out with dad when you're a kid. Well, you know, getting up to our age, what about taking dad back out? That's what I do every yeah. year is now I own my own 50 acres and I bring dad out and I've got a, a blind that's set up for him. And honestly, my uh, my sister was a you know a late onset hunter. She never did it as a as a youngster. And when she started hunting, it was probably seven years ago. And her first year out shot her first doe. And it was, you know, it's that feeling until my kid shot his first deer last year. That was the, the coolest deer I'd ever seen. You know, up until when he got his, you know, my son shooting his was obviously a little bit, a little more touching to me. But, uh, sure. you know, it was what taking her out. I, I never knew what my dad felt when he watched me shoot a deer until I watched my sister shoot her first deer. And it, it's just, you know, we want to share that with people and we want people to, you know, get to enjoy it forever. And that's one of the reasons why we do the donations back to conservation is so that all these things are still here for everybody years and years and years from now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And for you guys who have been obviously doing this for a long time, and I'm just kind of curious if you if you feel the same way that I do, or you kind of hit that point, like you've you've been hunting, you've been fishing, you've been doing all these things for a really long time, right? And certainly mm-hmm. there's been highs, there's been lows, but for the most part, like you could probably look yourself in the mirror and be like, you know, what? I've been pretty successful at this, right? Like mm-hmm. I've, I've shot a lot of good deer or turkey, I've caught a lot of big fish, whatever the case is. But then you get to this point in kind of your outdoor journey, right, where you're, you just have so much fun. Like it, it mm-hmm. becomes much more about the pursuit than the kill, so to speak. Yeah. And like the the journey becomes much greater of a story than the destination. And you want to just share that. Like it doesn't matter at that point, like how successful you're going to be. Like you want to share that feeling, Dan, like you were just talking about, like when your sister shot that deer, when your son shot that deer, like those feelings, those, those firsts are something that you can't really put into words, right? You just have to be there to see it. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's no, there's no way to explain it to anybody, you know, sharing that moment with someone you care about, you know, it it, it can be like Sebastian, he hunts with his wife, you know, it it can be whoever you're, you know, you care about that you take out there and into the wilderness and, and go fishing with, you know, I think it was, was it last summer, Sebastian and his wife both caught master angler salmon, on the same boat trip, you know, how cool is that? Yeah. I mean, they both got to submit and they both got their patch and everything. And and that's pretty sweet stuff. We're very good at that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, moonlights as a, as a, as a first mate. So. Okay. Very good. So it was what, 2020 then when you guys kind of rebranded or was it, when was it that you kind of shifted gears from shot local to local outdoors? End of 2020. Yeah. End of 2020. Yeah. By by the time the pandemic hit, Shot Local was yeah. kind of dead in the water. And you know, it was 2020. No one had anything to do. And we all had our little COVID pods. And so yeah. we were oh, in yeah. each other's COVID pods. So inevitably, the conversation would turn back to that, that, you know, this is a good idea. That yeah. there, there are a lot of outdoor lifestyle apparel brands and i 
you get the sense that you like us like there's a lot of good out there it's been cool to watch the pushback in the hunting community kind of railing against the oh you know you shot a 140 you know why it wasn't a 150 you know it it and there's especially being a fellow michigander i'm sure you also believe in the you know let them go to let them grow philosophy but the really what pushed dan and i over the edge to to really sit down and put ink to paper on on getting this idea going again was that the tides were turning away from the glorification of just the kill. And the part that seemed to be missing to us was the conservation aspect. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how many kids, kids, young people, new hunters don't know anything about Pittman Roberts. They have no idea what that is. And it's great that they're doing it. It's great that, that unbeknownst to them, their money's going to that. But how much more could we do if we could just shine whatever light we have onto that? And yeah. so that's when the conversation switched from just hunting. Cause yes, I am a part-time first mate, but the hunting is still, and always will be my passion. But then we started, it was that idea that had us go, okay, well, what do you do about fishermen who don't hunt? You know, mm-hmm. for uh, that's such a hard concept too, for Michiganders to, grass because every one you meet in michigan they if there's an open season they'll tell you exactly what time the sun rises and sets and what you know (laughs) how big this needs to be to be a keeper and that and you know it's it's it was that might have been one of the most difficult things for dan and i to wrap our heads around is do we really need to do caught locals like does anyone actually really just love to fish or can we just sell camo hats to guys that love to boat like us yeah yeah so it uh i lost my train of thought when i was going with this no Uh, but i I like that thought process because yeah i've said this before on the podcast is a lot of times i think michigan gets kind of slept on as far as like a state and what it has to offer for the outdoors because Mm -hmm. I, I, and maybe it's just because people tend to look at the deer hunting and go, well, it's not Kansas. It's not Illinois. It's right. not Iowa. Yeah. Like it's not some of these other Midwestern states. And I'm okay with that. But these other states don't have world-class trout streams. They don't have the Great Lakes. Well, some of them Absolutely. do. But, you know, we have great turkey hunting. We've got mm-hmm. great upland bird hunting, great duck. I mean, we have so much that you can, whatever you want to get into, we probably have that here for you. With, right. And, and we got you know, elk for crying out loud. I mean, good luck drawing a tag, but you still have that option. So there's the idea of trying to encompass it all like as best as possible, right? Like whatever you want to get into, whether it's hunting, whether it's fishing, you know, like you said, you know, like golf local, like Mm -hmm. I grew up golfing, right? And there's a ton of people who, who love to golf, but you know, those guys who golf probably bow hunt or they rifle hunt or they fish, right? Like they're, they're doing all these other kind of, you know, more traditional outdoor recreational mm-hmm. sports, you know, like, like we do. And I, I think that there's a lot to be said about that, about trying to encompass and include all of these different outdoor activities that Michigan or, or any state for that matter mm-hmm. has to offer. Yeah. That's uh, you know, when I first started the, the idea was that I was going to choose a, uh, a 501c3 uh, you know, nonprofit in every state, and I was going to have a different design for every state, and I was going to be giving back to all these different places. 
And and that's, you know, I mean, it's really hard to scale that. So that's where the idea came from to say, well, let's let our customers choose, you know, like let's, yeah. let's let them pick where the money goes because ultimately what I care about is conservation. It doesn't have to be right here in my back door. It, it can be anywhere because conservation throughout the entire United States is what matters to me. And, and it's educating people. It's getting people to see that it's an important thing. So, you know, that's, that's one of the things. And I want to touch on what you had said. There's so many different activities in Michigan that you can do. And this is going to sound like a, a pure Michigan ad. Too bad I don't sound like Tim Allen. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we have some of the most beautiful state parks in the United States. We have some of the yeah. most amazing hiking trails. And, you know, if you get up into the UP, there's so much stuff you can do. And so that's, you know, like our hike and our camp local line, that's where that came in was, you know, we give back to the state park system. So that way, you know, when, when uh, the, what was it? The, uh, our state park had a building where the, the roof collapsed yeah. and the friends of the Waddington state park, they are the ones who paid to fix it. So it was usable that summer because it wasn't in the budget. So, you know, that's where some of our camp and our hike local money goes to is it goes to helping out the state parks. It goes to keeping areas, you know, usable and, and, and beautiful and, and, you know, just taken care of for everybody. It's not just hunting and fishing. It's, it's outdoors. It's keeping nature natural, you know? Yeah. So whatever we can do to make it so anybody out there who wants to get outside can go get outside. Yeah. Now, as as hunters, as we are, you know, we I mean, I think it's fair to say that, you know, hunters are are arguably the biggest conservationists that mm -hmm. there are out there. And it's it's a weird dichotomy. And, and we've all heard that argument for from people who maybe don't quite understand, you know, how we can call ourselves conservationists or how we can love, you know, love deer so much mm -hmm. when, you know, we shoot two a year or three a year or right. one a year, whatever. Um, you pump those numbers up. <laughs> you know yeah. you can get ten doe tags here, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, but no, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, shoot. So, at what point was it for you guys when, like, the conservation light kind of really went off? Right when you were like. You know, we've been doing this for so long and we've been, you know, quote unquote, taking from the land for so mm -hmm. long. Like, how do we start to give back to it? Like, was there a specific moment for you guys or was it one of those things that you were always kind of aware of? You try to do your part as much as possible, but then you started thinking, I think, again, you kind of mentioned like on a, on a much like more scalable size mm -hmm. or, you know, a bigger scale. Like, OK, we can we can do more than than what we're doing now. Like what was what was that kind of the, the turning point for you guys when? when conservation really became like the focal point of the brand? So for me, uh, as the, the original founder of Local Outdoors, it, I would say it started in, you know, 15, 16, 17, somewhere in, in that range. It maybe started in 15 and then kind of really grew into me wanting to do something. And by the time we hit 17 and then 18 is when I actually launched. Um, I don't know that there was a pivotal moment for me. I think it was becoming more mature and, and realizing that, uh, you know, quality deer management, you know, is something that we should be doing for the, you know, when we're out there hunting, you know, I, I prefer to, you know, take older animals so that way I can let the younger ones live a little longer. Um, and I, I 
just kind of realized that somebody's got to be doing something. And I, there's so many amazing organizations out there. You know, Sebastian and I are both on the board for Ducks Unlimited. And that didn't start until, what, two years ago? I think it was about two years ago. Flim Flam yeah. and yeah. Ducks Unlimited. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I always thought, like, man, I, I really want to get involved in one of these things. I really want to do something. I really want to, you know, make a difference. And that was where Shot Local kind of came from. And it was, you know, I was, I remember I was at my dad's house and his, his he and his wife were kind of helping me talk through some of the, uh, the ideas that I had. It was actually my, my, you know, stepmom who came up with shop local because it sounds like shop local, you know, and you know, what I had was a bunch of different ideas and I just really wanted it to be that local piece because, you know, I, I obviously that's a huge selling point and, you know, the fact that you're taking care of local you know, places is right. really big, but, um, that's when it hit me. I think, it, you know, it was just, I matured as a, as an adult and realized how important it really is. You know, my son, uh, wasn't my son at that point in time. He was, you know, my, my wife's kid with her, her, uh, first husband. Um, so that wasn't really something that hit me as far as, you know, oh man, I want it for my kid. And that's what is hitting closer to home as I get older and, and through my marriage and through watching him grow up in the outdoors and enjoy fishing. I mean, the kid, gosh, he loves to fish. I took him walleye fishing for the first time this year. Oh, it's killer. We had such a blast over on uh, the Detroit River. Just absolute blast. Speaking of master anglers, I caught one that trip as well. At any rate, um, you know, it, it, it's just matured over time. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it, but that that's really what it's been for me is, is it's, uh, it's matured over time. Just as it started as kind of like a little seed of, I want to make a difference. And then it's turned into this over time. And I don't, I don't know what yeah. Sebastian's. Yeah. I, that's a really tremendous question. And I appreciate you asking it. Cause I, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question, let alone in the context of local outdoors. I, I think for me, having grown up around farmers, there's always in the back of your mind a, an underlying respect for the land. And yeah. as I as I grew into the outdoors and very proudly announced that I would never milk cows for a living, <laughs> that uh, you know, when I you know, I grew up in Ludington. I spent a lot of time in Macosta County. And that's I went to college in Ann Arbor. And that was culture shock for a 17-year-old yeah. freshman to go from everything I knew to that. And I I can't tell you how many times in four years in Ann Arbor, I'd be talking to people I knew and they'd say, oh, we're going to do this, that, and the other thing this weekend. And I'd say, well, I'm, oh, I'm heading out of town. And they said, oh, you're going home? Well, kind of. I'm going up north to go home. Oh my goodness gracious! How on earth could you, you know, dear beautiful, well, have you ever eaten one? Ann Arbor, fantastic. And yeah, <laughs> they're trying to sterilize deer instead of kill them. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah. either way, tremendous school. Don't regret anything about it. But I had some weird interactions, and I do think it's part of the story that I that was maybe the first time I realized there are a lot of people who don't know what hunting and fishing does to make sure that they can get on their high horse about not hunting and fishing you know how many people right. don't realize what 
the annual deer harvest does to make sure that people aren't smoking deer on the freeway every time they leave their house. Right. Yeah. So yep. Yes. Deer are, they were here long before us. They'll probably survive an apocalypse, but left to their own devices, they will breed to the point where they eat the land barren mm -hmm. and yep. uh, then eventually starve to death, which is way worse than being, respectfully responsibly harvested by a hunter yeah, absolutely and look at what's happening with kruger national park with the elephants that are migrating in there are other species that are trying to leave kruger national park in south africa because the elephants are coming from the entire eastern side of africa because they know there's food there yeah and it 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 through all of that i I realize that not everyone is doing just a little bit because if everyone did just a little bit for conservation, we probably wouldn't need Ducks Unlimited or the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, all great organizations. Yeah, and that's I don't a really think good point. you'd be doing what you're doing. I'm sure that we wouldn't be doing what yeah. we're doing because eventually I realized that, holy crap, hunters and fishermen, we're the only ones that are actively doing this. Yeah. Whether we yep. realize it or not, we're the only ones actively participating in conservation. So, uh, and just like Dan said, just like you said, I think there's a, um, uh, the realization comes with some age and maturity as you grow into the, into the, the outdoors and you realize how much it's done for you as a person the yeah. lessons it teaches are second to none. I mean, you can make yeah. a team sports argument all you want, but if you want to learn about patience, hmm. go ice fish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go sit in a tree stand mid-October. Yeah. Exactly. And then talk to me about patience. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Swatting mosquitoes when you get in, yeah. shivering mm -hmm. to death when you get out. Yep. And, and I think that, uh, you know, when Dan launched Shot Local, I was very, very excited about it. I know I wasn't the first hat order because we were in the middle of moving to Oklahoma. Yeah. But that for me was kind of the light bulb moment that it doesn't necessarily take the RMEF or DU or the Rough Rouse Society or anything like that to make it a big impact on conservation and the the other thing that you've got me thinking about is I worked in the oil and gas industry from the time I was a junior in college until 2020 and say what you will about the oil and gas industry. At least we're not lithium miners. Um, they, uh, the, the last four years I spent in Pennsylvania, uh, the client I was working for was a pipeline midstream company. And that was the same time that the line five stuff kicked off in Michigan. And, you know, I, I hope that no one sends you or me death threats over line five, but <laughs> either way, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that when oil wells get drilled and then reclaimed or pipelines get installed and then reclaimed, just how much good that does for the environment they're in and the wildlife that they're in. I, I was directly involved in about 40 miles of pipeline in Pennsylvania. And to this day, I get text messages all fall from landowners I worked with. Like, holy cow, Smash, you won't believe the deer I shot off your pipeline. Like, man, I haven't worked for them in five years, but awesome. <laughs> yeah. what, are you, what are you doing next weekend? Can I come yeah, visit? Can I come back? <laughs> yeah. So it, yeah, you got some room it, for me? 
Yeah, it 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 was really kind of eye opening for me to see it that it it wasn't just conservation organizations. There are other industries that, yeah. and I don't. I'm not going to say that the oil and gas industry goes out of its way to protect hunting and fishing and habitat improvement, but the way the rules and regs are, you know, you can't just slam a pipe in the ground and call it right. good and kick some dirt over it. It has to be reclaimed. Yeah. They don't get their permits released until there's X percentage of vegetation growing on it. And they, they're not out there planting the same Scott's grass seed you put in your front yard. The, the mix my client used in Pennsylvania was developed by Penn State University for them, for the region of Pennsylvania that they were in, not only so that it would grow, but so that it would give back to the environment. Because, you know, we might have to take some trees out here, we're cutting through ag ground there. And it that was part of my, like, aha, light bulb going off moment yeah. about conservation coming from so many different places. And so when Dan first called me and pitched shot local to me, I said, well, I'm in, what do you need me to do? He's like, oh, hold on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hold on. I wasn't ready for that big of a commitment. <laughs> right. So it, I, again, I think, I think it's, and I, I do going back to what I said earlier, I think the tides are shifting a little bit on conservation. So over Memorial Day weekend, our local, Outdoor shop, uh, Captain Chuck's 2, Ludington, Michigan, for all your hunting and fishing needs for anyone who's in the greater Ludington area. You're welcome, Scott. Um, <laughs> uh, they do a customer appreciation event, and and truly the owner, Scott Keekstra, has been, uh, when we rebranded and decided to really dive into this, we met with Scott and said, are we crazy? Like, do you think anyone is going to care about this the way that we do? Here's what we're thinking for products. And I think his first words were, do you have room for more partners? And we're like, oh, so you think it's a good idea? And he said, yeah, great. Yeah. So anyway, uh, over mo this past Memorial Day weekend, he asked if we wanted to come set up a booth and be part of his customer appreciation event. And the last person we talked to was a 12-year-old kid yeah. who he was there because his dad is a charter captain and this young man first mates for his dad and they were just there you know, tire kicking, it's tackle shop on a holiday weekend. Why wouldn't yeah, you? Right. And so he came up to us and, and we talked to him for 45 minutes yeah. and we were going to pack up at five and we didn't leave till five fifty. Yeah. Because he stopped by. I mean, he yeah. was, I don't know. I'll let Sebastian finish. Yeah. It was amazing. It was such a cool experience. Yeah. So he, he asked the same question that we get at the outdoor shows and all the shows we go to is like, so what's, what's your deal? And so we give him an abbreviated version <laughs> of the one. origin yeah. story. And when we brought up conservation, his eyes lit up and he said, oh, my God, that's what an amazing idea. I don't think enough people are talking about this. Yeah. I don't think that people realize he brought up. I don't think he could have recalled Pippin Roberts if his life yeah. depended on, but he brought that up. And, and that's really what spurred the conversation that we ended up having with this uh, young man. Yeah. And it, as Dan and I were loading the truck to leave, all we could talk about was how when we were that age, conservation was the furthest thing from our minds. Yeah. It's like, come on, November 15th, I just want to shoot yeah. it. That's and it. So, uh, again, I think, I think we're, we're all of us that are 
focus on conservation. I think we're in a unique spot in time where even, even, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old kids know what conservation is and they're excited about it and excited for ways that they can be impactful too. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's <clears throat> Sebastian, you bring up such a great point there. And I've, I'm going to sound like a broken record because I've, I've, I've talked about this with a lot of people in the past, but there's this changing of the guard when it comes yeah. to the outdoors, right? Like guys like us, uh, you know, kind of like our, our age demographic, like we're, we're kind of becoming at the forefront of the outdoors, of hunting, yeah. of fishing, um, of conservation. And I think that for all that social media is, I mean, there's really great things about it. There's really shitty things about it, yeah. right? Um, the good things are certainly that, you know, this young, this young man that you guys had the opportunity to speak with for at your, at the, at the customer appreciation day there, he, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but he's probably grows up in a family who likes to hunt or to fish. Um, and you know, like most young kids, he's, you know, probably on social media. So he's getting, if he's, you know, I guess following or, you know, tuning into kind of the right people in the industry, like he's getting a, a strong dose. I know that's not anywhere. He gets, a, <laughs> he, he's getting a strong dose of like that conservation message. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, I think back to when I was a kid and, you know, my dad, you know, he did everything from tie his own flies. He built his own drift boat. I mean, he did oh, all these cool. things for fly fishing. I mean, he was, he loved to hunt. Like he just, he became super obsessed with whatever it was. Um, you know, what, whatever pursuit it was. And we never talked about conservation right now. If we were at the boat launch, it was make sure everything's out of the boat. We don't want anything flying out, mm -hmm. leave things better than you found it. Like we talked about it indirectly, right? right. But the, that word conservation was never like, Hey son, this is what conservation is, right? Like that, that wasn't how it is. And I think that as, as time goes on, as social media becomes more prevalent as, you know, guys like us are, are getting our kids, our friends into the outdoors. Like those conversations, I think, are a little bit more readily available. And there's other things out there like social media that can kind of echo those same things Absolutely. that we're trying to teach the next generation, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's so true. That's, And I think, you know, part of what our, our main mission is not only to give back, but it's to educate. It's to, you know, let people know what they can do to, to help. And, and, you know, I mean, that's probably the most, and I, like you said earlier, it sounded like a broken record, but that's the most important thing to us is to be able to give back and educate and help people realize how important this is. So it's still here. You know, when we're dead and gone, I want it to still be here. When my kid has kids and I, you know, I've got grandkids running around, I want it to still be here because that's what matters. And, and it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, I think generations kind of don't think about it sometimes. And then as, you know, as you touched on with social media, you know, our generation is, is kind of like the, what, what is it? The beginning of the social media age, maybe yeah. like a little bit late onset, you know, I'm, I'm almost 40. So I'm not, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, I didn't grow up with internet and, you know, social media didn't exist until I was a little older. Um, yep. But, 
you know, having folks like us out there promoting these ideas is what gets kids to see it and realize how important it is. And, and to, you know, to touch on Sebastian's comment about the, that young man that stopped by, you know, he said, how cool is that? And like, that's amazing. I love what you're doing. And for a kid who's 12 or 13 years old to really grasp that, you know, I don't, you know, my son would grasp it because I, I preach it. But this kid, you know, I mean, he just thought it was the coolest thing in the world that we're giving back. And and that's, you know, that's what we want people to realize is, is it's not about us, you know, making a buck. It's about us making sure we can protect these things that we love. Yeah, no, that's that's very well put. So in terms of <clears throat> kind of sticking with the conservation theme here, how did you guys kind of first learn or find out about 2% for conservation? Well, that was... Uh, the first podcast that we did, and I would not recommend anybody <laughs> listens to it because we had terrible audio, but it was actually with the, the OKS Hunter guys over in Wisconsin. Um, yep. You know, we did it remote, and unfortunately, the audio is not great on it, but we touched on a lot of great things, and, and they were the ones who kind of said, hey, you know, you should check this organization out, and uh, we got in touch with them, and I believe it was Jared, is it Jared Frazier? Yep. Yeah. So Jared, uh, you know, we emailed back and forth a couple of times and he set up a call and, you know, Sebastian and I got on and talked with him and, and it was just an amazing conversation You know, to to hear that, you know, he's doing what he's doing in order to bring all these businesses together to make a bigger impact. That's a huge deal because when you think about how much is actually coming in from the bigger brands and the smaller brands and all everybody in between, that's how you make an impact bigger than the Rocky Mountain Health Foundation, bigger yep. than, you know, Ducks Unlimited. And that's how you make an impact for, for all the, the folks that are out there, you know, all the uh, the consumers who are buying product is they see all these different brands being a part of this. So then they they respect it even more. And, and you know, I mean, it, it's been great for us because I think we've had a, a number of folks who've stopped by more at a trade show or something like that. And they see the 2% and they say, well, what's this? And, you know, we kind of tell them about it and we say, you know, we're committed to making sure we're we're following these rules and, and we're donating this much back and, you know, we're giving this much time back. And and I think it hits home with a lot of folks that we that we talk to at these events and, and some folks it might blow right over their head. They don't really care, but it doesn't matter because they heard us talk about it. And the next time they hear about it or the next time they think about it, they're just going to have a little bit more respect for it because they've heard it over and over again when they've been seeing these types of brands out there. Yeah, no, that's, you bring up something really, really kind of important about 2% and how they're bringing all of these brands. I mean, when you kind of look at the totality of an organization like 2% mm -hmm. to, if you can kind of be mentioned in the same breath and the same conversations as, you know, organizations or companies like Sitka, yeah. uh, Stone Glacier, Go Hunt. Mm -hmm. And to know that even though, you know, Companies like Local Outdoors, companies like The Average Conservation, these small, you know, one, two man companies who are, we're trying our damnedest to do what mm -hmm. we can for conservation, but to be mentioned in the same breath with them, I think is, is something really cool. And that's what's, it's really cool, not just because you can kind of put yourself in that same class to a degree when it, or mm -hmm. you can put yourself in the same class when it comes to Absolutely. the efforts and the things that we're trying to do for conservation. Um, now, the financial thing, I think, it's it, Jared talks about this a lot, especially when he's on, he's, you know, he always says conservation isn't a competition. And I really agree with that because yeah, yeah there's no way guys like us could compete with, 
you know, what Sick is doing or anything like that. But at the end of the day, if throughout the course of the year, if you can donate a thousand bucks, two thousand dollars, something like that, like Absolutely. that's awesome. I mean, that's yeah. huge. That's two thousand dollars that, or a thousand, however much that you know, these three or four, or however many organizations didn't have prior to that, and that's mm-hmm. going to help them continue their mission. And that mission is important to to you guys, to your customers, mm-hmm. and that's, I mean, that's what conservation is right there. And it's such a, mm-hmm. it's such a cool thing to see. Yeah, right. And I think one of the most unique things about two percent. And I, it floored me to see is they don't care if you're Sitka or you're a steel company or you're a, you know, a candy Piano store or company. back in an island. It, they, they don't care nope. who you are or what your business is as long as you have a conservation mindset and a conservation goal. And yep. I, I, I don't know if I've even told you this story. I'm not sure if I should admit this out loud, let alone <laughs> to the listening public. But Dan's telling me about this, and I'm going, Dan, nobody cares about this. Like, no, nobody. <laughs> like, there's enough companies, and they're yeah. all, everyone's making camo, Dan. And so when I pulled their website up, and I, I think I did the same thing you did, and how you found us, I went to Michigan, and the very first company I clicked on is, a manufacturing company and i thought well, i wonder what part they make for you know browning or whatever and they make automotive parts yeah. or something i don't want to say weird it's just it's a normal it's everyday not industry. Related. yeah, yeah. And it, that has exactly it has nothing to do with hunting it's you know it's not a downrigger company it's but the the owners the top of that corporate food chain said, you know what, this is something that we care about. It's something that we think our employees care about. So we are going to make sure that every year we give back 2% to conservation. And and another unique thing about it is that, yes, there's always going to be a financial part of it, but the more and more you dig into 2% for conservation, the more you realize they care more about you actually putting boots on the ground and going and going yeah. and making a, yeah. a difference that people can see and touch and feel and experience. And there again, from a conservation standpoint, I think that's the most impactful way to reach people who aren't dyed in the wool hunters, fishermen, outdoors folks is being able to say, we did this, we cleaned yep. this, public beach something tangible stream yeah. or because then it's there for everyone to enjoy the way that teddy roosevelt had it in his head when he set up the national park system it's for everyone it's not just yep. for yeah. hunters it's not just for fishermen it's for the people to yep. go experience it yeah without getting sidetracked too much you know it's interesting when if you go to fishandwildlife.org two percent's website and you look at all the different brands and Sebastian, you're right. There's, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, I've had companies who repair pianos. I've had real estate agents. Uh, I mean, I've had traveling veterinaries, veterinarians, excuse me. Uh, I mean, it's just this wide variety of photographers um, that, that see the value in the outdoors or have some Mm -hmm. connection to the outdoors and want to continue to give back. You know, you don't see a lot of, you don't see any bow manufacturers. 
<laughs> you don't see any any big name firearm manufacturers, mm. which is always surprising to me. Um, I don't want to bash people because I mean I, you know, like I use a bow, I use a gun, yeah, I mm. you know I I'm still going to use these these things, but it, it always kind of surprises me that you have for the most part like well if you look at a bow, you have a bow that's designed for, I mean either target archery or for hunting, right? Like those are kind right. of your two categories. And I would say there's probably a lot more hunters than there are target archers out there yeah. when it comes to using bows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's not a single bow manufacturer up there. I, I don't know why that kind of sticks at, sticks in my craw a little bit sometimes when, you know, you, you know that I don't know, over half your customer base is using it for hunting and you're right. not giving back or, Maybe you are, I don't know, but I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting. I have I have some offline thoughts that I'm willing to share with you about this, but <laughs> that's fair. I don't think it'd be good for any of us to break it up. That's fair. Yeah. So, I, you guys have both kind of talked about this throughout the course of our conversation here. When it comes to donating your funds back or, or spending your time with getting the boots on the ground, like you just mentioned. How are you guys deciding, you know, where, where those donations go, um, you know, where you're going to volunteer your time at? What is, what does that process kind of look like for you guys? We, we came up with the concept that, that we want our customers to choose where the money's going. And that's really to speak to our, the local piece of our brand. And, and that way they know it's going somewhere that they care about. So the, the first major donation that we had was kind of like from when we started and, and partway into, uh, what was it, 22, um, we, we did a drawing and it was just one of those random spin a wheel things on Instagram. And I put everybody's, you know, like first, first name and, and last uh, initial and uh, everybody who was a customer of our online store it was entered into that drawing. You know, we did posts about it, told everybody about it, did the little drawing thing. And, and it ended up being uh, one of our friend's moms who had purchased some hats for family. So she got to pick where that money went. And so she chose the uh, t- uh, Tennessee National Wildlife Federation. Okay. And and so that's something that's local to her and to her son and, you know, who are, who is, you know, our friend, um, which is really cool. But what we have on the website is we actually have a uh, recommended donation. What do you have? Is that what it's labeled Mm -hmm. as? So it's, you know, uh, a recommended donation spot or whatever. You can actually click on that and submit where you think the money should go. So our our most recent donation went to the uh, Hennepin State Park Canal Restoration Restoration Project. I, I, I can't remember the exact term. But that came from somebody who actually heard about us on the OKS Hunter podcast. And, uh, you know, they they listened to us. They heard about our thing, thought it was really cool. They bought a hat. And they said, hey, I, this is where I think you should donate to. And, you know, they told us a little story about it, kind of gave us some background. And, and we encouraged that because we want to learn about all these places that are doing great things for the outdoors, doing great things for, you know, the natural resources we care about. So, uh, you know, we, we encourage our customers to submit those. And, you know, if we don't get any submissions, we'll, we'll pick something. Um, you know, when I first started, it was Michigan United Conservation Club here in, here in Michigan. Um, and you know, again, back to what I originally wanted was to have an organization that was like MUCC, but in every state, well, 
this is a little more personal to our customers. This is a little more, you know, it, it touches them because they know, hey, I've, I've made this recommendation. I think you should give it to, you know, my local Ducks Unlimited chapter, right? Whoever, I don't care who you submit, but submit something that you think is worthwhile and tell us about it and tell us why, because we want to make sure those underfunded organizations receive the money that they deserve to receive. Yeah, I love that idea because it... <laughs> It, it, it takes the the whole local aspect of the brand uh-huh. one step further, right? I mean, the idea behind you know you know getting out and enjoying the outdoors locally, wherever that is, to to whoever your customers are, but then you're almost putting like onus back on them to say, hey, what's important to you guys? I mean, you're mm-hmm. supporting right. our brand and our mission, mm-hmm. but we also want to support you in in your efforts. So. You know, you tell me what's what's a what's a cause that's important to you? You know, why is it important? What does this organization do? Hey, that sounds great. We would love to help support them because you supported us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it's such a, a great way to stay engaged with with your customer base and and also help a lot of these because I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I'm, I'm going to assume that some of the organizations that are either recommended or that you've already donated to are very small organizations right it's not rmef it's not d even though you guys are on the board for du it's not du or pheasants forever or trout unlimited or something like that like it's it's these small ones who are you know kind of making it their life's work to 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 keep these natural resources just that natural and beautiful and they just they need funding to to continue their mission and you know it's guys like you who who are allowing them to do that so good on you guys i think that's great I always, I always feel bad being a DU local DU board member because we inadvertently end up bashing on DU. Dan and I are both life RMEF members. It's not that we don't believe in those causes. We absolutely do, or we wouldn't. I don't think we'd be where we were at if we didn't believe in those organizations. But one of the biggest differences is the discrepancy. Uh, and I... And here's my plug for RMEF. I can't wait until I get my Bugle magazine. And one of the first things I always read, it's usually towards the back, is their their conservation update. Yeah. They do multi-million dollar projects in places that desperately need it. They're They're truly doing unbelievable work. But what about, like... Um, when the Ludington State Park building had a roof collapse and the state of Michigan, God bless them, said, oh, maybe in next year's budget. Friends of the Ludington State Park rallied the troops and they got it done so that it was ready to go for the next season. For anyone who listens to your podcast who doesn't know what Northwest Michigan is like in the wintertime, it's terrible, so nobody's here. But in the summertime, everyone's here. So if something in our state park is shut down in the summertime, people might not come back. So to be able to shine a a spotlight on smaller organizations, lesser known organizations that are, are, that share our same vision and mission is uh, it's really a neat opportunity and, and, having the conversations that we've had with people at trade shows that contact us through social media 
random people that stop me at Meyer when I'm wearing a hat to ask me where I got it. It, it, it's really eye-opening and it's, it's humbling to know just how many people share this same vision. But I think the more of those stories I hear, the more people I talk to, the more I realize there are so many underfunded, unrecognized, unknown organizations that are trying to do some good at a local level. And it's not that the RMEF or DU doesn't care about them. It's just not on their radar. Right. Because yeah. they can use their big funds to do big things for all of us that impact the entire Atlantic Flyway or the entire Central Flyway or this entire region of elk habitat. But what about the local trout stream that is littered? Who's going to go clean yeah. that up? Yeah, you hope that everyone who goes and fishes there grabs a piece of trash, takes it with them when they leave. But not everyone does that. Right. right. So if we can do just a little bit and clean up a hundred feet of a stream somewhere, neat. We can do that. I everyone's busy. Every that's the world we live in. If you're our age, you're busy. You're raising yeah. kids, you got a job, you you've got these side businesses too. Everyone's busy. But everyone, if they just do a little bit, they we can all accomplish more and make sure that when Dan's boy is older. He can take his kids to the same places that Dan takes them now to hunt and fish. Yeah. When my my son's two, so we got a little ways to go. But uh, I also he loves seeing deer in our backyard. But I still haven't been able to teach him that if you scream deer at the window, it's not gonna <laughs> make them stay around longer. But I I want him to be able to go hunt the Moraine State Park in Pennsylvania, which is 45 minutes north of Pittsburgh. That's a huge city. Yeah. It would be very easy in a few years for Pittsburgh to just swallow that part of the state up and say, well, this is, you know, these are condos now. Good luck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, it, nothing would make me happier than to be able to take him out there and say, oh, this is where daddy missed the 170 inch public ground deer at 22 (laughs) yards because he panicked. We want to make sure that that places like that stay open and accessible to hunters, fishermen, bikers. That was the worst part about Moraine is people on bikes just <laughs> randomly through there. Hey, what are you doing? Trying to what be does quiet. It look like? Mind your business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Keep paddling. You know, it's uh, and that it's a really good point, Sebastian, because you know if if let's say you know. You guys have a, a goal to to donate five thousand dollars next year or this year, whatever, right? Just arbitrary numbers, and you're trying to decide where you want to donate that money, where you want to give back to. And yes, you could donate to one of these, you know, one of the biggest organizations out there, like RMEF, like DU, and that's awesome. I mean, you guys contributed; that's great. There, there's nothing to hang your head about. But if you don't, DU, Army, like they're going to be fine, right? Yeah. They're still going to complete their mission or continue moving their mission forward. However, you know, Friends of the Ludington State Park or, you know, any of these other small organizations, that $5,000, that could help keep, you know, a seasonal employee who's in charge of, you know, cleanup projects on the books 
and get right. you know all of this work done throughout the course of the summer. Or you know it could help fully fund you know some project they have that they're you know kind of trying to accomplish on a shoestring budget. And yeah, that's I think that's where companies like ours, especially like yours, can can really make a difference when you 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 really kind of lean into that local aspect and 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 give back where it's really truly needed. And again, I I applaud you guys because I think that's absolutely the best way to do it. Thank you. We we really appreciate that. You know, it's it's hard to get the message out there, but that's exactly what we're doing here right now is trying to get yeah. that message out there so everybody can can learn about it and understand why it is we're doing what we do. They can hear the passion when we talk about it. And um that's that's one of the things we, you know, we really want to impress upon people is it it's a passion for something that we truly believe in, not a passion for making money. You know, we, yeah. we don't care if we, we make a dollar on every product as long as we're giving a dollar for every product that goes out the door. You know, for us, it's about taking care of what's out there that, you know, I mean, we're not making any more land. There's, you know, we're not, nope. we're not, it's, it's not a commodity that can be built. It's something that has to be preserved and conserved. So that's what we care about. And uh, I do have to, I don't, I don't know if you're going to cut us off here shortly, but one of the cool things, and I apologize, I've kind of been silent here for a second because I've been trying to make sure I had my information correct. But one of the cool things about, you know, 2% for conservation, we were talking about that a while ago. Not only, you know, is it is it monetary or, or giving up your time, um, you can also give products to places that, you know, might not have been able to afford those that they can go sell and then you know fundraise with and i yep. just wanted to do a quick shout out you know so one of the things we did was we we sold a bunch of our hats and we actually did a, a special custom run because this is down in florida so the camel hats and, and the darker you know colors that we have didn't necessarily fly down there so we did some colors that were you know a little more tropical if you will uh for the greater pine island alliance uh it's a friend of ours from high school um, you know, after the hurricane came through, it kind of destroyed uh, everything down there. And, and what they're yeah. trying to do is, is rebuild that. And so, again, just speaking to the things that we can do through 2%, and, and I apologize for bringing it all the way back to that, but speaking no, to the things we, that we can do for 2% circle. is, you know, it's not just giving them money. It's, you know, we, we sold them at a discount to make sure they could make money. And, and you know, our cost is covered and, and they get to sell it for you know, our retail and all that money is theirs, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, obviously <clears throat> local outdoors, the average conservationists were very similar brands. And I yeah. love that. Right. I think that the message that, that both of us are trying to convey resonates with likely a lot of the same people. Yeah. And I think that that's great. So you and I, I mean, we both know like the, the unit, the number of units that we would have to sell to really like, really make some money yeah. for, for us like we got to do we got to pump those numbers up right yeah. like you said yeah. earlier sebastian but, yeah like people often ask like oh like how's the business doing I'm like it's good you know but i sell hats and t-shirts and sweatshirts and i make x amount of dollars off of each piece of item and so much goes to conservation the rest of it goes right back into making new designs and yes, buying exactly. more stuff right like that's it's just kind of like this self-funding thing yeah. that essentially we're just using it to raise money for conservation because that's what that's what we love. I mean, that's what's important to us. And if that means that that that's what we have to do, or 
you know, we, I, I get the opportunity to talk with other cool people who are yeah. very like-minded and, and share the same interests, like, and it spreads awareness for conservation. Like that's a win mm-hmm. for me. You know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. And you know, the, the beauty of this industry is there's room for all of us. Absolutely. You know, there, there's room for every one of us. There, uh, what's the public land tease, you know, yep. I, I thought Sam. their concept was just killer. And, you know, other people say, well, you know, aren't they aren't they selling product and taking money out of your pocket because they're a competitor? No, I don't care. They're still giving no. back to the same thing I'm giving back to. Yep. So and there's so many consumers out there that that are willing. And, and, you know, what we touched on earlier, that this generation that we're in really cares and we want to pass that on and we want to teach our kids and we want to you know pass it on to the, the younger generations. So for us to to have a little bit of our, you know expendable income go into something like this that's great and and there's you know buy a shirt from them buy a shirt from us buy a shirt from you buy a hat whatever it doesn't matter they're going to find something they like something they care about from all of us and yep. they're still going to go out and 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 be a customer for for everyone there's there's just so much room in this space and to have more and more companies like us giving back and, and becoming a part of, you know, 2% or what, maybe they're not a part of 2%, but they're giving back, whatever it is, yeah. all these companies want to give back. And there, there's just, there's plenty of space for everyone to operate and, and still, you know, continue their mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And that's the thing I, I, and you guys have, have certainly probably found this or realized this over time is that you're almost going to have like three types, three types of customers. You're going to have one who, love the mission and want to support it that way. Mm-hmm. You have people who are going to buy your products because they like you guys, right? right? Like whether it's friends or family or people you meet at a show, like you guys right. just hit it off and they like that. Then you have people who are just going to buy your stuff because they're like, oh, that's a cool shirt, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like they don't care about the mission. They don't care about you. They just think it's a cool shirt. So they're going to buy it. And everyone's money spends. Everyone's money's green. And it right. all goes back to conservation. So exactly. however someone, you know, lands on, on, on your brand, like, Hey, your money spends in conservation just as, as well as anyone else's, yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. Guys, before I let you get out of here, I know we're, we're over an hour here and it's well, that's all right. Okay. All right. Good, good. We're, I mean, let's call it summer, right? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but my kids, yeah. their last day of school is tomorrow. Okay. Um, so they're, they're, we're, we're into summertime, yep. which means we're real close to fall. What do you guys got in store for this coming season? We have product wise or hunting. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> like what kind of like what kind of hunts you guys got coming? Oh yeah. Anything big? We drew Kansas tags again this year. All right, I'm just yeah. gonna end this now. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, that's exciting. Uh, Is, we're very excited about it. The last time we went, so Sebastian's been going for a number of years, and not every year, but you know, on and off, etc. And uh, the last time we went, uh, Sebastian and the other fellow we went with both tagged out. And I was last day, you know, final sit and just nothing. I just couldn't get anything to come in. And, and it's funny, being a Michigan hunter, I, man, I can't judge a buck. If it's got 10 points, if it's got eight points, I'm super happy. You know, yeah. and I, it, it's it's really neat. It, one of the cool things about sharing this experience with a friend is that they can teach you. So through my friendship with Sebastian, you know, he's shown me deer or we've seen him on the side of the road and he'll say, how, how old do you think that is? 
oh, it looks like a three and a half. And he's like, well, it's actually a two and a half. And here's why. And, and that stuff I didn't care about until, again, back in that like 17 time frame, you know, it's something that didn't necessarily matter to me because I was a, I was a Michigan hunter, man. If it was brown, it was down. There and, it is. You know, yeah. I mean, where we're at right now, we have uh, you know, <laughs> my neighbor. Well, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, it, it's it's really cool to be able to share that stuff with friends and family. You know, like uh, from what I've learned from Sebastian, I've been teaching my sister and my dad, and you know, I teach my son, and and it's really cool the community that we have because throughout the hunting, fishing, outdoor community, there's so much knowledge and there's so much, you know, information that can be passed and shared that, yeah, I mean, there are people who have forgotten more about hunting than I'll ever know in my life. Oh yeah. And, and I love talking to them because I'll learn something new. And I think that's one of the really cool things that bonds all of us as outdoors people is that we're always sharing and learning and, and finding new strategies or tactics or whatever it is with each other. And I think that's a really, really cool thing that we get to do. Yeah. So Kansas, that's yeah. exciting. Are you guys planning for that? Like, I don't know what their seasons are like from, like from a date standpoint, but are you thinking like November timeframe you'll be down there? Yeah. I think we, we come back on the 12th. I know yeah. that it's we, like the yeah. 4th through the 12th, 5th through the 12th, something, something like that. that. So yeah. Get back right before rifle yeah. opener or I shouldn't say rifle opener, you know, we're in Michigan gun opener. Gun yeah. opener. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All those south of the shotgun line people. Ugh. Did you know <laughs> did you know that the southerners call us the the rifle line? They they miss define the, the shotgun line. line. It is a shotgun line because we get to hunt yeah. like normal people with yeah. rifles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're Yeah, for the longest time I didn't even know that you could that you had to hunt. I mean, this is when I was young, obviously. Yeah. But that, you know, in certain parts of the state, like you couldn't hunt with yeah, like a traditional rifle, like you had to use yeah. a shotgun. But now, I mean, things have evolved in some of these like 350 and 450, like Bushmasters or whatever. Like, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, you can reach out and touch something for oh, yeah. oh, well my TC on for the muzzle loader is basically a rifle. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So you, um, you've asked us a, a lot of questions this evening and yeah. I've got one to come back, back to you with is, uh, how do you feel about the the tag system here in Michigan? For, oh my God! For, we're gonna start, <laughs> we yeah. made it this far, and now we're going to start a fight yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. Well, you know, I feel like this is something that uh, Michiganders, and, and I, I apologize if you're listening, you're not from Michigan, but maybe you're going to learn something new. Um, I feel like this is something that's important for us to talk about. You know, you speak. We speak about Kansas and why Kansas is one of those states that people, you know, actively try to get tags in. Because they have monster bucks. Why is that? Well, it's because their tag system isn't all jacked up like ours is. Well, I almost dropped it. Almost <laughs> dropped it. You were close. It's not all messed up like ours is. Um, you know, how do you feel about uh, the tag system here with with the 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 combo tag and then is you know up to ten doe tags? So the antlerless deer, I'm o- I'm okay with a lot of antlerless deer. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to get a lot of antlerless tags because we certainly do have a surplus of antlerless deer, especially in certain regions in certain areas of the state, right? Like I think we need to try to reel those numbers in as best as possible. You know, obviously the, the goal of like, if you look at like QDMA is what it's like a one-to-one ratio, right? Which we know is 
is a pipe dream, but it's it's always something to work towards. I've certainly benefited from the two tag system when it comes to bucks. Yeah. I would not be upset if we went to a one tag, like a one buck, one tag state. I would not because I mean, you see, and this is, you know, going to like social media, like uh, what's the, uh, what's the account uh, that always has just big bucks on Michigan, especially. Am I buck puller? Thank you. Am I buck pull? Right. And you know, they get obviously flooded with submissions from, from guys and gals and whatnot, but you'll see guys who have, you know, two, probably two and a half year old bucks. Yeah. You know, and, and don't get me wrong. Like I, I'm not going to criticize someone for the buck that they shoot. Right. Like, right. Uh, like I, I agree with the guys from, you know, uh, from the OKS hunter, like take what is going to oh, make yeah. you happy. Kind Absolutely. Of thing. But when you're doing that and you shoot one and then 10 minutes later, you know, you read this, the caption of it. It's like, yeah, I shot this one. And then two minutes later, another one walked right out and I dropped that one. He's got, yeah. you know, two, you know, younger deer that he took out of the population in a matter of 10 minutes, right? Yeah. Or if, if we're not going to do a one tag system, I think you need to earn your second one. Yeah. Like, uh, was it Wisconsin that does that? I think they, they used to, they okay. got where they wanted to be. So it's, there's no earn a buck. Yeah. Anymore. So I'm okay with if for some reason we ever do go to a one, one buck, one tag, um, if for an antler, an antler deer, I would be more than fine with that because sounds like you're, you're pretty much on pay or on par with us. I apologize for putting you on the spot. Like no, that. no, it's You're all good. Announce your, uh, you know, your, it's your, okay. Your feelings about the this, people but, need to know. Well, <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is if, and I understand a lot of local hunters probably don't want, uh, you know, folks from out of state coming up here and, and hunting and whatnot, but ultimately what's what's good for the goose is good for the gander if we can get more out-of-state tags that cost more money coming here to michigan and seeking michigan as a place to go hunt you know what you know what that does it just drives our conservation dollars up every single year so you know i think we see it as, as an advantage to be able to have better bigger bucks you know get rid of some of the doe population you know if you blow a grunt call here in michigan you're gonna scare everything away you're not going yeah. to call anything in, you know? No, so, no. Tactics it, like, like, like the, the approach that you guys will take in Kansas is far different than the approach right. you would take here in Michigan. Right. Like well, it, it's funny. Dan, how to use rattling amps. Yeah. Cause he was, he was like tickling them together. Like they were glass. And I was like, no man, like these deer are angry. Yeah. They're but that's angry. Just you got to like, get after it. How yeah. often do you hear of guys in Michigan, like really rattling in yeah. a buck? Right, like Unless it's, you're in Livingston, Washtenaw County yeah. area. It's, yeah, Jackson County. Yeah, like it's it's rare, right? It's just it's there's so much pressure, especially in certain areas that yeah, yeah you, you sneeze and deer are like, nope, I'm yeah. gone. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think there's certainly um most deer in Michigan have to compete for food, not for breeding. Yeah, food. right. They have yeah. to compete for food. And that's yeah. not a territorial thing. That's a just keep walking until you find it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sebastian, Dan, this was awesome. I really yeah. enjoyed the hell out of this. I appreciate Thank you guys you. making some time. Um, yeah. Love to get you guys on again in the future. Maybe after Absolutely. your Kansas hunt, share some stories yeah. and yeah, um, love yeah. To. yeah. Love to. Yeah. yeah. Well, really, I appreciate we, it guys. We might need to air that one a little bit later. <laughs> and get it in That's the, fair. Uh, like 10 PM. Yeah. Time yeah. Slot. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, guys. Well, have yourself a good night. And again, I appreciate you joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Well, there you go, guys. Another episode. Uh, Thank you again to Dan and Sebastian for joining me uh, on today's episode. Uh, I would also like to thank 2% for Conservation. Uh, And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And over there, you're going to see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media where it's going to be only positive conservation driven content that lands in your feed. So it's uh, something you will certainly enjoy. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, Stay tuned. Got another great one coming for you next week. Um, But until then, stay safe out there and remember that conservation starts with you.